0: He will save you, he will save you, he will save you. Well, when I get in this refrigerated air, my voice tends to squeak a little bit. If you can bear with it, I can too. (laughs) I don't like it, but that's the way it is. We were singing that song, and um, I just thought how rich a crown that was. And uh, these guys, these Roman soldiers that pushed that down on the Lord's head had no idea what was going on. It's, it's astounding what happened at the crucifixion of Christ. The very creator of the universe was standing there in front of them and they had no idea, had no recognition of him. And so, um, you know, Rich, could we move that real quick? Anyway, while Ryan's getting that, I'd like to say that good that's fine thank you the the whole service is about the lord's table this morning and um i think it's appropriate it, it it's appropriate that it takes this level of of um elevation when we're dealing with this um Gary he asked me for a title, and I just picked one of these uh, first things. We don't have that up yet.
1: <clears throat> you might say that
0: it's kind of, it's not an outline, it's the names that we assign to this um. Meal, table, supper, however you want to refer to it. We use the word communion many times. We use that usually around here. And that's from a verse in 1 Corinthians. No, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can turn there real quick. We're going to be going through these scriptures quite a bit. So have your Bibles ready there. First Corinthians ten, sixteen. Oh, I landed in Second Corinthians there. It says, Is not the cup of blessing we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Now, in the version I have, which is an NAS, the, uh, they use the word sharing. It's the Greek word koinea. And it actually means uh, probably the best translation is fellowship. But in the King James Version, they, the King James translators translated it as communion. And that's where we got the word communion. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And again he says, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So that's where that word came from. The next one is the Lord's table. It's from verse 21. And it says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the table of the lord and the table of demons the third one is we often call it the lord's supper and that's over in chapter 11 verse 20 and it says therefore when you meet together it is not supper. now this is a this i'm not going to go into this portion of the, of the First Corinthians 11 passage. But I'm just showing you where we get these names. Now there's one, when I gave this to uh, uh, Ryan, I didn't have this other one. It's called the Eucharist. It's, um, it's the word in the Greek that is a, basically a, that is a, the Greek word for thanksgiving or giving of thanks. The Eucharist is used by the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, and the Roman Catholic Church to describe the same meal. Every place where, the, where it's recorded that the Lord says, and He gave thanks and broke the bread, it's the word Eucharist in the Greek. So that um, that is where you get that word. So those are where we get the words for this ceremony. The context, of course, was the Passover meal. The Lord was cruci- crucified on the day of on the Passover day. Jewish days started at 6 o'clock in the evening. And the meal was celebrated that night. He was taken by the leadership of the Jewish nation around midnight or so. And he spent the night being abused and he was crucified then about 9 o'clock on uh, the day of... On the morning of the passover day, there are five biblical texts that deal with the what we're going to call i'm going to call it communion it's just it's easiest for both you and me matthew twenty six mark fourteen luke twenty two the three gospels it isn't recorded in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has about six chapters dedicated. You can, I'm going to get back a little bit so Verna can see. It has about six chapters dedicated to that Passover meal. But it's not mentioned in the book of John. It's only mentioned in the first three. Then it's... Paul teaches about it in first corinthians ten ten and second and first Corinthians chapter eleven. So we're going to look at each text and see what it says. This is kind of a we're going to start out with kind of a, a critical view of things. Now that doesn't mean we're critical of the text or anything. It just means that we're dealing not with devotional things, but we're trying to see what the text says so that we can understand it. Matthew 26 and verse 26. We'll start there. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread And after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now that's the text in Matthew. I won't comment on these things until we read the text in Luke and Mark Mark 14 verse. 22, and while they were eating, he took bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is to be shed on I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, reading those two, there's not much difference. There is some difference, but it's very slight. In essence, they say the same thing. And... Let's see what's common to both of them. Common elements. Both of these men are Jews. Matthew, of course, was a publican before he got saved, before he started following Christ. Mark, we don't know too much of where he uh, hit the background on Mark, but it's, it is known that he was a Jew. And he was with the congregation in Jerusalem. So they were both Israelis or Israelites. To read one of these essentially is to read the other. They both say the same thing. Some people think Mark was the first gospel that was written somewhere around 50 A.D. And that Matthew copied a lot of what he said. Some people think that Matthew wrote the first gospel, so it's we don't really know it 's just a big guess, but um they uh both are Israelis, and they might come at it you know their 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 audience their readers were essentially Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, because in the day of Pentecost, basically, essentially it was Jewish people who were there. And there was a large church there in Jerusalem. And Paul on his journeys would come back and check in at Jerusalem on several occasions. So um, both of them also mention a covenant. And it doesn't say what the covenant is. Which covenant is it? You know, there's about four or five. Um, We know that it's the new covenant. But these these two writers do not identify it as such. And they both conclude with this statement of the Lord. I'm not going to eat this meal again. Until it takes place in the in the kingdom, just to um, it, as, as Matthew says, um, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, and I my opinion is that it's talking about the literal kingdom. On earth, where our Lord rules as King. At that time, He's going to eat this meal with these apostles again, according to these statements. Okay, that is the two Matthew and Mark. Now let's go to Luke because we're going to see a difference in Luke. Luke chapter 22, and we'll start with verse 14. Now, before we get into the text of it, I would like to ask a question. How does Luke know anything about this meal? Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark spent a lot of time with the other apostles in Jerusalem. But what about Luke? You know, the first time we see Luke In the Scriptures, Paul was on his second journey. And he started out from Antioch. He came, I'm sure, visited Tarsus. He stopped in in the Galatian churches. And then he went. He didn't go to Ephesus. He went up here to Troas. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, We'll see something here. Acts chapter 16 verse 6. <clears throat> and they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. That's what I was saying where he passed through the Galatian areas. And uh, we'll go on down. Verse 9 or verse 8. And passing by Mysia, he came down to Troas. When it says he came down, we look at it as going up. Because we think of up as north. But down is coming out of the mountains. You see, down to the coastline. There at Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul. Verse 9. A certain man of Macedonia was standing appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. What? We sought to go to Macedonia. You see, the pronoun changes. Now, Luke is with them. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the Gospel to them. Luke joined with Paul in Troas. And he traveled with Paul up to Philippi. And once he gets to Philippi, Paul goes on ahead. You can see this. um, Okay, therefore putting out to sea, this is verse 11, from Troas we ran a straight course and they went into the mainland of Macedonia there. And you know there was a problem at... I didn't mark this in my Bible... Anyway, go to 17, chapter 1. And when they when they had traveled through Anamoth and Phippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So here's Philippi. Luke was with them in Philippi, but he wasn't with them when they went to Thessalonica. So Luke was with him from this short time in there. When you get into the third journey, Paul's third journey, Paul stops at Ephesus. You know, he was there, what, two years, I think, or three years. Then he goes up to Troas and to Philippi. And there he joins with Luke again. The point of this is that Luke got his information, I think, from Paul. Because Luke says some of the same things that Paul says. So, so Luke is a traveling companion of Paul's. At the end of the third journey, Paul was in Corinth and he was going to take a ship over here and there was a conspiracy to kill him in Corinthia which is just on this side of Corinth, on the Aegean Sea. So Paul, he returned up through Greece and Macedonia to Philippi. And as Paul leaves Philippi, Luke is describing it and says, we left. And, And Luke stayed with Paul all the way down till they got to Jerusalem, when, when there was a conspiracy to kill Paul again, he was um, taken to Caesarea. And I don't know if Caesarea shows on the map, but it's a, it's a city, a Roman city on the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul was in Caesarea for two years. And Luke was with him when he left Caesarea. So we assume Luke was with him for about two years. Luke may have gone back down to Jerusalem during that two years. But Luke was with Paul long enough that um, he he was schooled in what Paul was teaching. Now, if you look at Luke 22, Luke chapter 22, we're going to see how he describes it. Starting in verse 14 And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. This is the Lord. And he said to them, I have, this is interesting now, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. These are the men that had been with him for approximately three years. He knew what was coming. And he says, I really have a desire to eat this Passover with you. In verse 16, For I say to you, I shall never eat it again. I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Very similar to what the other two gospel writers said. Verse 17, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God says comes. Very similar. Now this is not the cup of communion. This is the cup of the Passover, a cup that is attached as, or is part of the Passover meal. OK. Verse 18. For I say to you, excuse me, verse 19, and when He had taken some bread and giving thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. The the Matthew and Mark did not include that statement. Do this in remembrance of me. When we get into Paul's writings, we see that that Paul uses this phrase for both the, the bread and the cup. Mark here only uses it for the bread. Verse 20, And in the same way, He took the cup after they had eaten. I think when he says in the same way, it means that he gave thanks for it and that he distributed it to them. And uh, apparently the distribution was a single cup that they all drank from. And he says, verse verse 20 again, this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, some people take that statement probably different than you and I take it. Actually, the Roman Catholic Church takes that statement to mean that the bread actually becomes the the body or the flesh of christ as they eat it and that the wine actually becomes the blood of christ and they do not distribute the the, the uh wine to the congregation Just the priesthood takes it. Now, this is what we call a metaphor or figure of speech. And technically it's a metaphor. And um, it's very common in language. The Lord used it all the time. We use it a lot in our speech. Um, and, And a metaphor says, Basically, it is a representation saying this represents something else. And it's given in the form this is that. As the Lord said, this is my blood. There's another one which is called a simile which says this is like that. But We're not dealing with the simile here. We're dealing with the metaphor. And it's very common. And I think uh, as I was reading, the uh, people in the Roman Catholic Church who established this leaned heavily on John chapter 6 where the Lord says, I am the bread of life. And He talked about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And they say, well, that means that this is not just a metaphor. It means it's a real thing. But um, I don't think we, you know, our chapter 6, the Lord said, I am the bread of life. Well, what did He mean by that? Well, He meant, He did not mean that I'm a loaf of bread. You know, to say that, we would say that's ludicrous. And it is. In um, chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. He didn't mean that he was the sun or that he was glowing. Now there's one in the future he will be. The Lamb will be the lamp. The Lamb will be the light in the New Jerusalem but at this time, he's simply saying, I am the one that brings illumination in the lives of people. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door. He doesn't mean that he is a literal door, obviously. He means that he is the way into the blessings that God has for us. And in chapter Luke, I was talking about the Gospel of John, but in Luke chapter 22, he says, this is my blood. He doesn't mean it's his literal blood. Obviously, he was sitting there in front of them. And his body was whole. He wasn't bleeding. You see, he has a cup of wine in his hand. It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It's something that represents Something else. So, it's good to understand some of these things and the way different churches view it. I don't know of any other church organization or group that believes that the the blood actually becomes, that the wine actually becomes the blood of Christ. Okay, you can see how Luke varies just a little bit. Now, for the fourth passage. First Corinthians 10. Yeah, there we go. Verses 14. If you'll turn there. This is quite interesting. First Corinthians 10. I've read this for years and kept puzzling what it meant and why it was there. And then here not too long ago, all of a sudden the light came on. 1 Corinthians 10, the whole chapter is about idolatry. In the first verses through about verse um, 12, verse 13, he goes through Israel's experience in the desert journeys as they're on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And he brings up four different instances where Israel sinned before God. Three of them were directly related to idolatry. They were involved in idolatry, in worshiping some sort of figure. One of them was when Moses was on the the mountain and he was up there for what, 30 days or something like that? And the people got restless and they wanted something to worship and they got Aaron, if you can believe it, who was a high priest, they got him to cast a, a calf out of, I think, gold. And and they worshipped it. And when Moses came down from the mount, there, there they were worshipping this calf as their God. But Paul goes through these instances and he ends with verse 13, which is a familiar verse for many of us, I'm sure. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't let it overcome you. and So on. Then in verse 14, look. Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. You see, the section is about idolatry. We're going to jump down to verse 23. All things are profitable, all things do not edify. He's talking about, this section talks about meat offered to idols. Should Christians eat meat offered to idols? He says, The meat offered to idols, the idol is nothing. And the meat offered to idols, there's nothing that says we shouldn't eat it, except if you know it's been offered to an idol, don't eat it for your own conscience sake. Now I say that to show you that the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 10 is involved with idolatry. But right in the middle of it, He brings up communion. Why? Well, let's look at it. Verse 15. I speak to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? He brings this up as an example. In a sense it may be a metaphor. But he he brings it up because it's something that they know about. He has taught them and they know that when they take communion they're sharing in the blood of Christ. And they're sharing in the body of Christ. So what he's doing here He's going from the known communion, which they are familiar with, to teach them something about idolatry. And let's see what it is. Go down to make to verse 19. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to, to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? In other words, is there really any substance, anything of value to an idol? And he says in verse 20, no, but I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, yeah, Gentile, uh, the, uh, the assumption is he's sacrificing to an idol, they sacrifice the demons when you sac- when you worship an idol Paul says you worship a demon. now the last part of the verse verse 20 I do not want you to become sharers, in demons. Verse 21 You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. They oil and water they don't mesh. The word Sharing. Going there. The word "sharing" here is the word "koinonia." That's in verse sixteen. The word in verse nineteen. Oh. 19 let me find my say my place here Oh verse 20 the, I do not want you to become sharers with demons. this is the word Corineos it's a different word but it has the same meaning. Koinonios means an associate. A companion. A partaker. A partner. Basically he's saying if you sacrifice to a demon, you're becoming a partner with that demon. You're becoming a participant with him. Up above the word Koinion, koinonia means to communicate, fellowship, participate. What you can see is the two words are very, very close in their meaning. Essentially, they mean the same thing. But if you, if you kind of reverse the logic and look what he says about the idolatrous worship, you get a clue of what is kind of going on when we take communion. When we we participate in the communion meal, we become a partner and a participant with the Lord. There's something that happens. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're really not interested in talking to you and you can see it? You've had that, haven't you? And what kind of, um, what kind of a conversation is it? Good conversation for you? No. Even, and let's, let's face it, sometimes we have our minds someplace else and somebody wants to talk to us. And we may not be a good communicator with them. But what happens in communion or what the Lord wants and desires, just like He desired to eat the Passover with His twelve apostles, He wants to partake of the meal with us. That's what I get out of the passage. We become participants with it. Now you gotta be careful because you don't want to go in to the communion thinking that you're you're going to get some kind of a spiritual buzz, you know, or you're gonna feel some kind of you should feel some kind of overwhelming spiritual presence of the Lord. Not necessarily no. You might, I don't know. But that isn't that isn't the norm. We just take the communion as we would normally eat a meal with anyone else. But, we need to be kind of at attention when we do it. Real quick, this will be the end. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 23. This is a text most utilized by people when they bring a message on communion. There's a lot in it, and I only want to make two points. Number one is the source. Where did it come from? And number two is the emphasis that I think Paul gives here. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He got it from the Lord. He didn't get it from the apostles. In Jerusalem. He didn't get it from the elders in Jerusalem. He didn't. He may have talked to them, but he got his information from the Lord. Okay, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of Me. For, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he come now paul's emphasis is that the whole group takes it if you go back this section actually starts in verse 17 you see that the meal was taken by the church, by the whole group, not just by the hierarchy. And, it is, and the, one of the points that he makes in this chapter is that it should be done in unity. Apparently when they did it in Corinth, the rich person brought a lot of food and they shared that among their group and the poorer people showed up and some of them may not have had any food and they didn't get to take it. And that's not a unified way of doing communion. It's supposed to be done by the church family and it's supposed to be observed in unity. Summing it all together, I would say this. The Lord's Supper, communion, is the corporate expression of worship. That is, our reflection and acknowledgement of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a community meal with the people of God. Now, I would finish with one verse in John 4. Because we've seen that it's a sharing with the Lord. John was, I mean, the Lord was talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, and he made this statement. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Or the Father seeks such to worship Him. The Lord is seeking. He wants people. To worship Him. Communion's a little sliver of life in our lives, not a very big part. But God wants people, when we do the communion, to worship Him. And they do it in spirit and in truth. So, how do we come to the Lord's table? I think we bring ourselves before the Lord having asked forgiveness for known sin and we come in sincerity and truth. And that's not too hard for us to do. It's pretty easy. Everyone in here can do that. If you've never done it before, if you've never come if you've never wanted to be a worshiper of God, if you never wanted to be somebody that the Lord is seeking to worship Him, you can do that real easily this morning. Just come in all sincerity and truth about yourself and yield yourself to God and partake of the elements. Turn it over to Gary now for...